Welcome to this mini-series called Sustainable Saturday with me, Bianca Foley. In this series, I'll be discussing sustainability in the fashion space. There are four episodes to listen to ahead of season six of Sustainably Influenced, which is coming very soon. Hope you enjoy. We cannot forget that adaptation was the key to surviving a global pandemic. So in today's episode, I'm speaking with Annie Rudnick and Natasha Butchler, founders of the Okojo Market, which is a global online marketplace selling handmade accessories, jewellery, homeware and fashion from independent African designers, all about surviving a pandemic, adaptation and why it's so important for brands to measure their impact. Their mission is to be an inclusive, curated global marketplace, elevating and promoting brands that have a positive impact on the local communities and the local environment. They bring together change makers, thought leaders and industry pioneers on their collective journey of discovery and responsible consumption. Let's have a listen. Just wanted to, I guess, if you guys could give a little introduction about yourselves and a Kojo Market. Lovely. Um, yeah, it's really, really amazing to talk about our Koja market today with you. Um, so we launched our platform in April 2019 um, and the market is essentially a marketplace, an online marketplace and it sells beautiful homeware, clothing and accessories handmade by artisans from across Africa. And our platform really provides customers with a space for discovery. So we've got a lot of unique products um, from emerging independent designers. And all of our designers are manufacturing in considered and ethical ways. And what we mean by that is they are working with local makers, they're providing skills training as well as job opportunities and really creating um, long-term benefits for their communities. Together with our designers, we're really embracing heritage and culture and local materials and skilled work instead of fast fashion and cheap labour, which has been built up on exploitative supply chains where there is zero visibility of the maker. And most of these makers, who are largely women, make up the informal sector where they have zero basic job protections and human rights. So what we wanted to do was really create a platform that is completely centered around the maker um, and to be able to give designers and makers a direct revenue stream to allow them to become financially independent. And we really shine a light on these talented individuals um, and their practices who are drawing on centuries old traditions and creating beautiful products and who understand how to make goods which are just inherently sustainable using local materials and without harming the environment. So we launched the platform, as I said, in April 2019 with just 10 designers on our site and we now have 45 designers um, and all of them have amazing different strengths um, and pioneering practices when it comes to sustainability from recycling and upcycling to using local materials and natural dyeing techniques um, and also are giving profits back to and supporting local projects within the community. So both Natasha and I have really, we don't actually have a retail background. Um, my family are from Zimbabwe um, and I've always been immersed in African art. I, have, I grew up in a very artistic family and I have a background in contemporary art, curating, marketing, communications. Um, so for me, what's really important is about kind of 
giving visibility to the maker and shining a light on um, their practices, but also allowing the customer to be able to learn about the products to kind of understand that, you know, these designers are implementing practices that have been passed down from generation to generation. And there's a real culture and heritage that goes behind that. And um, I kind of feel sort of upset that in fast fashion, you know, there is no visibility of that. And there's no chance for the customer to be able to understand like how products are made and, and sort of, we really want to celebrate um, each of the credentials and kind of ethical practices that our artisans are implementing like and, and innovating every day. Yeah, I'll very briefly talk about my background because it feeds very much into the impact report that we'll be discussing a bit today. But I worked for 10 years as a due diligence and investigations analyst, which sounds kind of spooky. Um, on occasion, maybe it was, but it mostly involved doing the background checks for um, my clients who were either going into business with a new company or an individual and very often those companies or people were in sub-Saharan Africa so I traveled there a lot and was doing on-the-ground vetting um, and that was really looking at everything from political stability and macro risk to more nuanced issues of ethics and sustainability in that respective supply chain or in that business operation and on my travels I'd you know, seeing what Annie's describing in terms of the situation with there being hugely talented makers that are just either not able to sell their products internationally or forced into maybe degrading work in urban areas and leaving their families um, for days on end or, you know, even longer at times. Um, and that really inspired me to create a platform which did curate and pull together all of these products and makers but even more importantly to me, to be very clear with the customers as to what is so special about what they're doing and what they've already been doing and what they're working towards. Um, and we talk about sustainability, but you know, what a big topic and how much it encompasses and how much scope there is for greenwashing. And it really just inspired us to try and be as transparent as possible about what is and isn't feasible for a small business, um, especially operating in some really challenging operational jurisdictions in the world. I love the contrast and I love the fact that the two of you have completely different backgrounds, but it's so complimentary. It's really, really nice. Um, I, as I think my audience probably know, I don't have a traditional retail or fashion background, but it's always been something that I've, I'm in, um, I've been interested in. And it's exactly the same thing, but out of that interest, you see the areas or something that's missing and you're able to provide that solution so yeah so kudos to you guys but um as you mentioned Natasha we're going to be speaking about the impacts report would you mind kind of giving us all a little bit of an overview about it and what it actually is because I think a lot of brands are uh, releasing them this year but nobody really knows what they are yeah yeah definitely it's a very funny one because I think the concept initially began as a sort of very corporate document that um, a business might put out, a very large, usually publicly listed business would put out about their CSR um, activities. So basically all the charities they were supporting, how much time their staff had volunteered, charitable activities, that sort of thing. And it's very much evolved into the conversation around um, ESG. And now I think it's a practice that's being adopted by businesses of all size, which is to say, okay, if having positive impact, and that can be 
in environmental issues with sustainability or governance or human rights and ethics, whatever it is, um, we want to embed those core themes into our mission and everything that we do in the business activities that we're sort of taking up on a daily basis, which means that we therefore need to hold ourselves to account. And to do that, you need others to know what you're doing so that there's an audience that can measure that against last year's targets and then the next year's accomplishments. Um, so it's really just opening the door to what a company does. Um, it's still seen by, I think, some big businesses as a checkbox exercise. And so, of course, a company of our size, super, super small, does not need to publish anything like this. But because it's so integral to what we do, the positive impact that we have on everyone from customers to our makers and the brands that work with the makers um, and even to ourselves and the team that we work with, it's really, really important. We just felt that we wanted to lift the lid on it and hold ourselves to account. And we produced it in a sort of corporate looking document, which does follow all of the bigger companies' leads. But it's our way of really saying, this is us, this is what we stand for, this is what we're doing, what our brand's doing. And you know, have a read because there's some inspirational stories as to you know, what can be accomplished in some of the most difficult, challenging times. I mean, the pandemic for most of our brands has been really, really difficult. And this is how they've navigated their way through it. And not only that, but with the highest ethical standards you can imagine. Um, so it's really feel good, as well as not, not being used to in any way show off or show up anything but just to say that this is important to us and so this is what we're going to hold you know ourselves to account with and i think also when you're kind of thinking about the future and how you want to grow your business by being able to reflect on that year it can really like it can really focus in on the targets that you want to achieve in the future as well um so Definitely. in that sense it's been really helpful for us in terms of planning for the future it's the kind of document that you hate having to do but once you've done it it's so valuable and it's something that you don't you can't imagine never doing again yeah. <laughs> almost i kind of do those i kind of do my own sort of what would it be kind of like um doing an audit on myself at the end of each year and you look at what's gone right for you and within your own business and things like that yes i'm not talking about my impact per se but it's so vital and it is an integral document to any business as you said so i think um what would be great would be to discuss some of the big wins that yourselves and your brands that you represent had in 2020. As you said, it was a pandemic year. <laughs> it was a year of the pandemic and there were a million other things going on in the world. And it was just a tough time all around. So I think it's nice to celebrate the positives. So I'll talk about, so we've separated the report into two. There's a Kojo Markets targets and achievements and then we focused on our brand's achievements um, and I'll let Annie go into some of those stories because honestly they're just incredible they really really made the process like you say it's a tedious process collecting the data but it made it so worthwhile just to sit and read and think wow they actually did that um, but from our perspective Yes, it was a very difficult year, but it was also a year of growth for us, which um, I think reflects the fact that people were shopping online more and that ethics and sustainability have become priorities when people are shopping. So the convergence was really great for us. And we knew that in operating and conducting most of our business um, in sub-Saharan Africa, we wanted to have much more representation um, in terms of the inner staff of a Kojo market. Um, so as Annie said, she's from Zimbabwe and I'm um, British national. And we really just wanted to have voices that reflected much more diversity across the board. So it was very important from that perspective, from like a, uh, a representation and staffing perspective that the people that we spoke to, and that was really from everything from like SEO to um, web development, branding, um, impact, that we wanted to make sure that we were pulling in all, all the right people that we could. Um, so we spoke to a lot more women 
and a lot more black business owners um, and black Middle Eastern um, people that wanted to, you know, give their perspectives on the way that we are portraying brands, the photography, the curation, and make sure that it spoke to a really wide variety of customers because we do have a really wide variety of customers and we want to make sure that we're being as inclusive as possible. So that was really an important thing for us. And then um, Black Lives Matter happened in a way that just hit all of us um, extremely hard and it caused us to pause even more and think about how we could structure ourselves to make sure that the representation stayed at the core of what we do. Um, and the same with cultural appropriation. It's an issue we're really sensitive to and just making sure that our brands speak for themselves and we don't pass anything off as an Okojo market brand. It's very much their own and we're sort of the tech platform that enables them to do that. So that sort of was at the center of many of our activities as was offsetting carbon emissions because we are shipping things across the globe and we try and do that in at least a sort of carbon emission um, toxic way as possible but you know we still have a footprint that we wanted to offset and so we worked with a company called Nula Carbon um, which is doing amazing things and the founder Charlotte really shares our understanding and our mission of how we want to mesh environmental issues with human rights issues and so what we do there and what Nula Carbon does is it makes sure that they purchase credits that essentially um, provide jobs for local youth in Kenya to protect their forests and their local habitat. So rather than be forced to chop them down for money, they are trained and they're incentivized financially to protect them. Um, rather than us just planting trees, we thought that there's so much that already exists that's you know at risk in this world and we want to protect that and so that's the way that we um, do this is we buy credits and that's how we offset our carbon emissions and then packaging we make sure that that's 100% recycled um, or recyclable recyclable packaging um, and the other thing we do is we provide ethics and compliance training so I'd say that you know those have been our focus and we are getting there definitely not there but we're getting there and I think that's the most important thing for us. So um, we calculated across the 43 designers that we were working with last year um, they employ over 2,500 artisans altogether so when March hit with the pandemic and kind of retail just literally shut down within a day we were sort of like oh my god what do we do but knowing that we have 43 designers and they have all their artisans it was like you know what can we do here to support them and from that just incredible stories from our brands just came to light like because we work really closely with our brands we don't buy wholesale so we work on a drop shipping model so we're constantly in communications with our designers about orders and what's going on and you know anything we're sort of aware of and so suddenly a lot of our designers were having to think on their feet because they've got a team of artisans that they're working with and you know their livelihoods are hanging on the line here um and so a lot of them pivoted um, their productions, for instance, Eclectic Sheet, one of our designers, um, she pivoted to making face masks and she 
set up the workshop for a safe environment. She transported her artisans safely to and from the workshop. She provided them with accommodation stay at so that they didn't have to return home to their families. And actually, she was able to produce and make PPE um, for the local community, for governments, for healthcare workers. And actually, we ended up selling the face masks on our site and we worked with our PR, PR agency and we got her face mask featured in Vogue um, and they sold out twice over. So that's just like one amazing example of how just quick thinking pivots in production that were able to keep the artisans busy, but not only that, they were able to support their local communities as well. Others donated food packages, created hygiene stations, um, were, all of them were able to keep paying their artisans um, the wage that they were earning, if not more. Um, and some of them continue to train um, artisans and um, with new skills, um, Boon and Up, uh, one of our homeware brands that works with uh, female weavers in Ghana uh, was able to train six female apprentices to learn to weave. Um, so despite the pandemic, um, our designers just like just continued no matter what to try and support their artisans and to keep working, keep adapting, keep pivoting as the big word of the year. Um, and that just continues to inspire us every day in what we do. Um, so if we're able to promote them and to kind of give them access to an international audience to allow them to continue selling their products, um, to continue the, those sort of activities, that's, you know, that's really, that's the goal. That's what we want to be doing and that's what we want to continue to be doing. I'm just sitting here gr grinning away because I'm just... <laughs> completely taken aback by those stories. It's wonderful to hear. And as you said, the word of the year was definitely pivot. I think so many brands that as long as they were able to adapt quickly, they were able to stay afloat and they were finding new ways to continue to sell. And so many, um, I've got friends that live in Ghana and they said that for a long time, everything was still as normal. So they were just getting on with it, just very distanced from one another. And I love that because it still allowed people to make their livelihood. And so if last year was the year of the pivot, I want to know kind of what is the focus for 2021 for a Kojo market? How do you think you guys will continue to reduce your um, your environmental impact, but continue to make a positive one? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank and you. in a way, it's like, it's like, is this year any different to last year? You, no fun, no. <laughs> You know it will be and then we're in March um, <laughs> and, and we're still yeah we're still where we are behind our zoom screens um, I think that the biggest trend and I use that word not lightly in, in a really positive long-term way is the use of um, local raw materials it this is again like ethics and sustainability a widely overused term that doesn't always reflect the true situation um, but because our brands have very, very naturally been doing this for a long time, because resources can be scarce and you use what you can and it's the lowest cost way of doing that. Um, so, you know, if you're making something by hand, you're probably using locally sourced raffia or sizzle or whatever it might be that is, you know, grown or sourced very locally. Um, and now that's become cool. And that's amazing because it's, it's so much more sustainable than let's say buying something um, at a market 
that is you know is very very common practice in sub-saharan africa but the chances are that the fabrics you know almost definitely um if they're affordable have come from china and so if you think about that process of getting fabric which the raw fibers may even have come from sub-saharan africa but they're processed outside and then they're imported back in they're sold on the market at rates that people can barely afford to make up the garments that they want to make and then sell for barely nothing the human cost and the environmental cost of that process alone is mad um and so i think because it's now become cool and we're trying to make it cool in what we're doing and you know elevating products to a level of um desirability sub-saharan africa but they're processed outside and then they're imported back in they're sold on the market at rates that people can barely afford to make up the garments that they want to make and then sell for barely nothing the human cost and the environmental cost of that process alone is mad um and so i think because it's now become cool and we're trying to make it cool in what we're doing and you know elevating products to a level of um desirability let's say internationally we are enabling so much of that very very polluting process to be cut immediately and that's really a big trend um in a very very brilliant way which actually as annie said earlier draws on centuries of traditions but just reframes it quite significantly and then on the flip side but in the same way many of our brands are using some super innovative methods to reduce um pollution carbon footprint and other toxic practices in their supply chains so gabrielle swimwear is using a type of lycra called reprieve which is made up of ocean um, plastics found um in the ocean and we've got various other uh, brands parlor eyewear are using a bioacetate to make their sunglasses and these these are highly skilled technology advancements um so in a way the opposite to what i was describing but it's part of this very very thoughtful process that actually smaller brands can flex and pivot more towards because they don't own factories that are doing things in a sort of a more cumbersome polluting way and so they can say all right i'm going to make the next collection out of this and you know pineapple leather and um banana and other you know bark leathers and it's just incredible what's happening so i think hopefully the combination of the use of local very local i mean like really local raw materials um and introducing innovative processing technologies um will reshape the direction of retail going forward i really really love that because it's something that um growing up was quite big in my household is using have don't seek from outside and i love the idea of using what's available because my family are from the caribbean and we'd go to visit my nan and everything's there in your backyard and it's the idea of living off what you've actually got and what is accessible not creating more and creating something out of nothing just so that we have more but it's the idea of really using and utilizing what you have that is immediately around you and i think that's something that we need to do in in europe in the us in large producing countries we need to be more focused on using what we have locally rather than i know exports and imports are help everybody's economies but there is something to be said for using what you grow within your own nation and yes you can create products and create incredible products from what you've got around you and the export them afterwards but i'm so encouraged to hear that even during a pandemic and before that that all these local business people are training artisans so that there are skills within the nation again and it's the same here we i mean there's this huge resurgence of make it british and british textiles and things and we're trying to revive that market and to be able to use the skills of the people around you and 
if not everyone can be a tech tycoon or whatever yes. you need to have people doing different jobs and i think that these are skills that are so so fundamental to the upkeep of your society all of our values are shifting in the right direction and you know even if you think about the terms handmade or artisan they've only really become valuable considered valuable terms yeah recently and i think that would you know that appreciation for kind of the handmade artisanal goods is all being reinforced by designers, you know, moving on to seasonless collections. The, the term slow fashion, you know, a real understanding of that. And um, one of our designers, Mosso Mosso, is actually going to stop doing seasonless collections. That is kind of her goal and how she wants to move forward. And I think, I think a combination of those designers committing to that way of production and really, you know, celebrating the processes and giving that customer that level of detail will kind of just, you know, really bring bring about a love again of appreciating something that you'll be able to treasure for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and also pass down to your children, you know. Yeah, you think about like our parents sort of age groups, they weren't able to buy everything every single week or every other day as some, some sites are dropping new collections of things. I remember growing up, my mum telling to make a lot of her own things and yeah. she would like she knew she was going out on a Saturday night so she'd repurpose something and make make her outfit and yeah to me I think that's so wonderful because you really really use what you've got but yeah not everybody's like that unfortunately but I think we are getting back there um, thank you so so much ladies for joining me um this has been a really really lovely lovely chat Thanks so much to my guest today. I've linked the full interview in the show notes if you want to have a watch. Please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Sustainably Influenced. Season five of Sustainably Influenced is available to listen now on all good podcast platforms. Thank you so much for listening.